You are listening to a Trav Market Media podcast. Explore the network at travmarketmedia.com. Please subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. Thank you for choosing a Trav Market Media podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Travel Radio Podcast. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and today I am pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Catherine Parker Magyar. Catherine, welcome. Hola. So excited to be here to talk about Mexico. Yeah. I have to say, before we get into that, um, if your mother, if you can pass the message to your mother, I have enjoyed, I listened back on the podcast where you guest hosted and interviewed your mom about you know, how to raise adventurous travelers. I really appreciated that, and I have used the line with both my children and a couple of my friends, like, don't be the girl who doesn't get in the water. And I, yeah, I, and it's been good. It's it's an important, it's I don't know, it's an important concept. So thank her for me. Oh, I will. I'm so happy that you gave us the opportunity to do that. I have major respect for you as a host, <laughs> by the way, because- I mean, I was getting, you know, there's pressure. I don't, I don't know what I thought would happen, but interviewing my mom, which was not my first choice, listeners, I will have you know, <laughs> and it was Megan's, and I was like, really? And then I'm just so happy that we were able to do that because she's so passionate about travel, and yeah, the relationship, the conversation about like, you know, the American West and. It was it was a beautiful mother daughter bonding moment as well that just happened to be recorded. So yeah. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, it was wonderful. I appreciate you uh, being willing to, to to participate in my experiments. That's great. <laughs> it was great. So then, um, for people who haven't heard your last episode, will you please give us um, an introduction to yourself? Yes. So I am a travel culture and lifestyle, and honestly, sometimes literature and politics writer who is usually based in New York City, but during the pandemic, I was out in Jackson, Wyoming, where I casually tore my ACL skiing, not recommended, but it's beautiful out there. And before that, I'd really been traveling the world nonstop for two years. And in all, I've been to 63 countries, six continents, all 50 states um, in pursuit of a good story. And those stories have been published in... um, Forbes, The Daily Beast, Departures Magazine, Architectural Digest, The Week, Business Insider, World Travel Magazine, Elite yeah. Daily, Brit & Co., etc. Um, but you can find all of that at my website, which is just my name, KatherineParkerMagyar.com, yep. or on Instagram at KatherineParkerMagyar. On my last episode, I interviewed my mom about traveling from New Jersey to Wyoming and back via car almost a dozen times, you know, she did that with four kids, including myself and cultivating a love of travel, which I really do credit with my current career. And before that I was a guest with Megan and we talked about um, distant adventures for the intrepid traveler, which was an absolute blast and we're still friends now. So (laughs) that's my backstory. Yeah. And, and interestingly also in your backstory, I think travel writers often have these unique backstories into how they got into travel writing, which did not necessarily start in travel. And yours, you know, we should just mention to people, but they could they can go back and listen to our other interviews. You started in the obituary business. 
Is that correct? Yes. I am from a newspaper family, and I worked pretty much every single job at the Recorder Newspapers. I started out tagging ads in the different sections, and then I upgraded to obituaries, which were my first bylines. And honestly, like, that's the last word and testament on someone's life. I just remember feeling immense pressure yes. if I get one detail wrong. And yes. I, I really credit, though, um, growing up writing for newspapers and being trained in that discipline just because the strict deadlines, what's the hook, what's the headline, how can you make it good in, like, 400 words sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I love, the narr- I love to do sort of magazine-style writing or narrative style, you know, particularly for travel, sort of just first-person deep dives. But I feel like it's important to have a background in journalism and reporting. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I feel that that's sort of what I can always fall back on in terms of it's it's the anchor to your story. Everything else is the frills, but you want to make sure that the ship isn't, you know, that it's properly constructed. Yes. So that's what I would say. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, uh, with such an, uh, you know, a, a weighty responsibility earlier in, in your career, I just feel like it set you up well to report accurately on, you know, the more, I don't want to say exciting, but something that's joyful because you had to start in such a place of, <laughs> I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to say sorrow because there are good celebrations of life often at the, you know, whatever. We'll get into that another time. But yeah, I'm appreciative of, of your writing and research and attention to detail. So anyway, with that, yeah. with that being said and your foundations laid, let's get into Mexico. This is another part of what I'm calling the culture vulture series, series for Mexico, which aims to take people beyond the resort properties and, you know, kind of show some love to our southernmost closest neighbor and recognize and really celebrate like the cultural richness that is, you know, inside of the country of Mexico. And so today, why don't you introduce us to what, you know, to where we're going today? Well, I am so thrilled to be doing this because I love Mexico very Mm. deeply and I feel really lucky because we are going to Chichen Itza, Mm. which if you're unfamiliar is one of the new seven wonders of the world. And it's an ancient Mayan city. That's a world heritage site. Basically it was established in like 600 AD, but some claim 400 AD. I want to make a little caveat here. That's because this is such an ancient site and because there's a lot of mythology surrounding it. You know, there are some disputed accounts on certain things, which I'll note. But basically, Chichen Itza was the jump off. It was thriving in the 10th century. And it's pretty much, for me, visiting Chichen Itza gave me such a deeper appreciation into, you know, every single, like the history of Mexico and particularly pre-Hispanic Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you're going, the Yucatan, you know, you're going in. There's like a, you know, you're going through a lush jungle and then you get to witness this. The pyramid is called El Castillo. Mm-hmm. El Castillo. Castillo. Oh my God. <laughs> Off to a rough start. <laughs> or the temple of, Kuk- of Kukaken. Mm-hmm. And it's 365 steps. It's, there's more to it than that. But basically, I, I feel like I'm jumping ahead here. But basically, it's like the Maya, the Maya people, their civilization. I mean, it's almost like it's an, I was, I've been 
when I was there and when I was leaving, it's, there's this idea that's sort of an undying eternal civilization because, you know, they were light years ahead with astrology, astronomy. They built these pyramids without metal tools. Mm. And then I feel like, I know, Megan, you mentioned this a little bit before, but because Mexico, and particularly this is on the east coast of Mexico, so, you know, you've got the Gulf, you've got the Caribbean, there's this tendency sometimes to not really leave your resort, which is a crying shame because there's so much fascinating history that you can, that you can experience. Literally, this is an, two hours away from Cancun, honestly. Yep. So you can like, and Playa del Carmen, Tulum, to give you some perspective, those were, um, well, Cancun didn't exist. That was built by the country of Mexico as a tourism vehicle, which is amazing because it gives a lot successful. of tourism to the country. Yeah. But Playa del Carmen and Tulum were fishing villages for Chichen Itza. Mm. So in, you know, hundreds of years ago, those were the sleepy towns. And, you know, this, this city in the, Yuc- in the Yucatan was the hot spot. And I'd argue still kind of is today. And we'll go into why. Yeah. So if we visualize Mexico, I like to say like as a mermaid's tail, um, you know, if we, if we visualize her kind of like kicking off to the right, um, would you describe where we are? Like a two, if she's got these two fins or not two, when you know, the tail, she's got the tail fins. I, she's kicking off to the right. So if we visualize like that, where are we? I love this um, analogy because New Jersey is called the seahorse oh. and I'm from New Jersey <laughs> and I love yes. Mexico. So I'm like, yes, we're just two marine <laughs> animals over here on the East coast of North America. That's right. Um, so Chichen Itza is on the mermaid's actual fin of her tail. Yes. So yes. if, Yes. So if her tail is, um, the tail is pretty much the Yucatan Peninsula and Quintana Roo. Quintana Roo, aside from being the name of Joan Didion's daughter, because she named her daughter Quintana Roo, which I always think is so cool, (laughs) is home to Playa del Carmen and um, Cancun. And that is sort of the Caribbean beach area that you're likely thinking of if you've traveled in that region. So if you go a little bit further, um, I guess we'd call it the north, mm. the northern corner of her fin. Yeah. Like Cuba is across, you know, yep. across the water. Cool. I was reading your articles where you've mentioned Chichen Itza in the past, and you've talked about a sports competition in which the winner is actually then sacrificed to the gods. So what sort of competition is this, and why would anyone participate Oh, my God. No, people really wanted to participate. This was a huge deal. So, okay, so it's called the Grand Ball Court. And to give you a sense of how Chichen Itza is laid out, like there are several, like there's a Temple of the Warrior, the Wall of the Skulls, and the Ball Court. These three are really covered with, like, graphic stone carvings that are very legible today. Hmm. You know, and these things are, I mean, math is not my strong suit, but we're in 2000 and... Oh my God. I like barely remember what year it is because I feel I've lost my mind. We're in 2021 and you know, these, this city was being built in 600 AD. So, Mm. but you can still see these intricate carvings and you go to the ball court, which is huge. And it's like a stone court. And then you've got these walls. I'm saying this because it doesn't look very comfortable to fall. Yeah. And basically this is a Mesoamerican ball game where I would describe it as a mix of volleyball meets soccer Mm. meets basketball. And let me walk you through this. So the ball 
So there are two teams, and the ball can never touch the ground, or else the other team gets a point, like a la volleyball. Right. But then you can't use your hands, so it's like soccer. So basically people are slip-sliding everywhere. Um, a lot of, you know, many historians are like, oh, the, um, the Maya people invented soccer or football if you're in Europe. And then if another team gets the ball through the stone hoop, which is on the other side, mm-hmm. then they win, oh. which just seems like an extremely stressful game because you, in my head, I'm like, well, what if the ball never touches the ground and I feel like I'm winning and then, you know, you've got like the Michael Jordan of the other team <laughs> comes in and it's over for you. But here's the deal. So my guide, who I feel very passionately, if anyone ever goes, and I hope they do, to Chichen Itza, my guide, his name is Beto, also known as um, Alberto Cabrera. He was my guide with Cancun Passions, and he really brought this whole place to life for me. Mm-hmm. Like, he was able to pun in multiple languages. He was hilarious. That's a and, skill. Like, it's a skill, and I left, and I was just obsessed with Mayan culture, which served me really well because everywhere I went, I'd like to say after this, in, like, Central and South America, I would relate to, you know, the, to the Mayans Mm, or, mm -hmm. okay, well, okay. What were the Mayans doing at this time? Okay. And I, it it got me fascinated with pre-Hispanic Mexico. So I'm just saying that, which is a huge realm of study and interest. So Mm -hmm. go. Okay. But I just had a whole tangent, but basically Beto was like, so what do you think happens? And there are all these carvings and people are like getting beheaded and we're like, the the loser gets decapitated. And he was like, no, he's like the winner. And I was like, what? Like, why would you ever want to win? Right. But basically, it's like a sign. The winner dies. The winner's team. There are, there are paintings of, like, a priest decapitating, like, the, the winning team captain. Yeah. He's offered as a sacrifice to the gods, and it's, like, a great honor. And for me, it kind of a little bit reminded me, very different, different countries, different time, but um, in Peru, if you go to um, Machu Picchu, is pretty much like a virgin burial ground. Mm-hmm. All of it was built for these like brides of the sun god, and they would never, you know, they were reserved for the sun god, but they also would be killed at yeah. a certain age. Yeah. But it was an honor. But so, basically, in my in uh, Mayan culture, the concept of the afterlife, like death, is sort of part. of, Death is like part of a continuity of life. So when you die, usually your spirit goes to the underworld and then it works its way up to heaven. But if you die in a ball game, then you go straight to heaven. And so people were all in on that, which I personally, I kind of love. Like I was fascinated by the Mexican idea of the afterlife because this idea that death wouldn't be something that you were so terrified of. Yeah but would be something that you embraced as part of life. And we're all going to go there anyway. So why not go there having scored the winning, you know, the touchdown at the Super Bowl, (laughs) you know, make sure you're going all the way to heaven. And I mean, that's sort of a silly example, silly comparison that I found that I'm fascinated with. I would say Mexico and China have the two most interesting cultures, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, and I find that extremely encouraging. Like, I find that conception of death, I, I want to go there. Like, in, in China, essentially, I mean, the Chinese afterlife looks like, honestly, more happening than life itself. Like, oh. if you go to Xi'an and then um, the Terracotta Army, where basically the emperor, the same one who united the Great Wall, built, like, all of these hollow Terracotta soldiers 
these warriors to be vessels in the afterlife. Mm. And then there are depictions of the afterlife and literally anything you could possibly want. Yeah. Particularly when the emperor was five was at the afterlife. It's like, what are these chickens doing here? Yeah. Why is there all the, why are there all these changes of clothing? And, but in Mexico, in, with Mexico, like what I felt when I was learning about the Mayan approach to death while I was in Mexico, it makes, it kind of makes sense to me and not to sound too, but I, I've always, I'm not, I don't really believe that like God is looking over me. And if he is, he's probably a little bit disappointed. So I'm not quite sure I'm getting myself to heaven. But this idea that, you know, it basically, it's the idea of the soul. So when you die, you know, your soul leaves its the body, yep. but the soul and the body aren't exactly the same. They aren't like, obviously they're different things. And what was I actually watching recently are basically there's the human body, like what it's made up of. There's a certain percentage that they can't account for. And they, they think it's the soul. They believe it's the soul. You can Google that. That's true. Interesting. But I don't have that in front of me. And yeah, I just thought that was like a really beautiful, interesting way to view the afterlife. And it makes sense when, you know, you think of the day of the dead and even things that like all of the painted skulls that are, that we really associate with, with Mexico, a lot of the imagery, learning about the history, particularly the pre-Hispanic history, it sort of ties everything together in a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a wonderful way also to mourn ancestors to, I don't know, I've, I've felt, I have felt the presence of like a family member that's died. Honestly, that sounds mm. very dark, but mm. like when my grandmother died, I felt her presence twice actually. And I think that happens a lot sometimes. I don't, I don't know where people go, but I'm, I'm, inter- I'm interested in Mexico. I'm interested in the Mayan, you know, evolution where you go from the underworld up to heaven. And it's fascinating. And you learn more about, you learn more about these um, philosophies that the Maya people had, you know, for example, their, their like measurement of like, astrology, astronomy, obviously there's this whole thing with the Mayan calendar, but I'm obsessed with astrology. Mm. I'm truly obsessed. I'm a Capricorn with a Libra rising. I can tell you that. And I'm, I'm looking at the sun, the moon and the stars as are pretty much every other millennial who's dealing with an uncertain economy and future, whatever. Mm. There's a whole think piece on why astrology is spiking right now with (laughs) the new generations, but it's like, Oh God, everything else is going to hell. I might as well wish on the stars, but (laughs) There is a science there. And just looking at this pyramid, honestly, I'm like, I can barely keep track of what day it is. And these people, you know, without any of the modern tools that we have, we're able to, just by tracking the sun and the stars in the sky, we're able to measure, oh, there are 365 days in a year. And we're going to build it so that we're going to build this pyramid so the sun hits at exactly these points. And it's fascinating. Mm, yeah, the planning is intense. but um, Very intense. Let me ask you this. Um, we've got storytelling in full effect. So how about, you know, if we haven't covered already, your favorite experience at Chichen Itza? So my favorite experience occurred actually right after Chichen Itza, which doesn't make sense, but it will in a second. Okay. <laughs> but so we're hearing everything about the Mayan culture and Basically, um, I think that everyone knows a little bit of the abbreviated story here, but Cortez made contact first, you know, in Mexico around 1525. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Mayans were officially defeated by around like 1697. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that also was due to malaria, which is, you know, just as in the USA, like the disease, 
disease that's really vanquished like Native Americans, aside from our brutality. But so basically, I was talking to to Beto about okay, well, how much of the culture is preserved and how much is still alive and. There is this restaurant, and it's called Pueblo Maya, mm-hmm. and it's right next to Chichen Itza, and it's this, like, authentic Mayan cuisine, and just going there after, like, going to this restaurant right after experiencing Chichen Itza, and, I don't know, talking to Beto, learning more about the food, learning, because there's still a thriving, there are still people, there's still a lot of Maya people, obviously, within Mexico, but mm-hmm. the culture is still really alive, and feeling like I was going back to the past and experiencing it in the present was exciting for me. Mm-hmm. And that just sort of brought it all together. I think that, I think that that really brought it home. But if you're asking for like, when was the most magical moment, I would say, you know, it's called, it's like the pyramids in Egypt are famous for a reason. Like the El Castillo is famous for a reason. Mm-hmm. And this, it's beautiful. You know, the Yucatan is amazing because you're more inland. So you've got like, it's hot, wear a t-shirt, bring water, yep. <laughs> hydrate, yep. stand in the shade. But, you know, you're, there's this jungle, lush jungle, and then there's sort of a clearing, and then this pyramid rises out from the sun and then <laughs> rises out from the ground, and the sun was beating on it. And then the best way to get a picture in my, I believe, and this is the best thing actually, is to step quite step back and maybe my best shots were sort of behind a little bit of like, different like brush and grassland so that mm-hmm. you can frame it and you don't see the people in the foreground at right, all. Right. And just looking at the sun hit it, it's like, God, and it's in such good shape. Yes. I mean, it's in better shape than I am. And I've been alive for, I don't know, 34 <laughs> years. So it's just, it's, it's as cool. I feel like sometimes when things are really popular and really famous, you're like, people tend to try to downplay it. Like, Oh, it's overdone. Yeah. But like, I would, it's famous for a reason. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So just seeing it was awesome. And it was very cool. And I know that it was my third time in Mexico, but I hadn't been, I have only been to the Yucatan and, Quint- Yucatan and Quintana Roo. I really need to get further out, further afield. But I remember the first time I went to Mexico, I was in my, in college mm-hmm. and I was obsessed. We were in Playa del Carmen with my family my family grew up traveling like psychopaths. We never got to ha- got to hang out anywhere. All I dreamed of was a beach. I was like, I just want to sit by a beach. I don't want to be like driving like six hours a day through mm-hmm. Serbia and then like sleeping for four hours, you know? So we went to this <laughs> beach. First and last time we've had a real vacation like this. I, my college boyfriend was with me at the time and my siblings and my parents. And we were at a resort. I think it was in Cancun. I don't know. But we were, no, it was in Playa del Carmen, which I love. Mm. But my dad had a whole challenge. How many drinks can I drink on this all-inclusive menu? Because the man has, like, the flavor palette of a 45-year-old woman in, who's in Florida, early retired, and, like, <laughs> drinking, like, blue cocktails all day. Yes. So that, just, like, honestly, it was cool. But then... I remember we went out to dinner one night in Playa del Carmen and my brothers were probably 11 and 13, I don't know, probably 12 and 14. And we were in sort of a hole in the wall restaurant and it was a tequila restaurant and basically a lot of live music. But if you put a steel, if you put a pan on someone's head, they had to take a shot. So they kept putting pans on like my little brother's heads. They were getting drunk. It was just (laughs) rocket. So fun. My dad was in no condition to drive, I feel. Just going back, my brother, my little brother Alex, first time he ever was drunk, kissing my college boyfriend on the shoulder, being like, I hope you become my real brother. Spoiler alert, that didn't happen. 
But I was like, I'm obsessed with this place. And that might sound shallow, but I was like, there's good energy here. Yeah. Next day, going into town and just strolling around Playa del Carmen, which they call the Mexican Riviera. And I mean, honestly, there are places that are more built up and more touristy, like, but obviously that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go, I've been back since and there, you can definitely go clubbing, but there are these cool little side streets. Walking down the street and I um, am posted up at like one of these outdoor cafes and suddenly there's like a freak rainstorm yep. and everyone moves under the overhang of this cafe, which is like tight not COVID friendly. Everyone is like stacked up person, a person, a person. And everyone is there for like a couple minutes. And then someone starts like playing a drum or like beating on the bar. And then other people, and then like people in the back start clinking glasses. And there's just like an impromptu dance and singing party. (laughs) And it was just, just, I just love like, and, and I just feel like I had a love for it. And I know that we did potentially go, I think we went to the, to the ruins potentially in Tulum, but it was so long ago and it was sort of briefer. It was more brief. So mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't land the historical element of it as much. Mm-hmm. I just walked away. And I remember just writing down, like, I love Mexican food, Mexican fashion, Mexican music, Mexican people, Mexican <laughs> culture. I was obsessed. And then going to, going to Chichen Itza and then getting the, sort of getting the antecedents of everything. And just, it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful culture. It's, it's, I don't know. I was just like, oh, I, I get it more now. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and having and then a going good tour Peru. guide is super yeah. crucial to that. And yeah, and it sounds like you had one. I'll put his contact information if you have it in the show notes. So I hope people... he's still there. He's the only reason I, I created a TripAdvisor account because oh. he, I couldn't get his email to work. And then I, I, so I created an account and was just like, Beto is the man, exclamation point. So yeah, I'll find him. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've kind of, you know, my question was going to be, um, why, you know, why is this a cultural destination travelers should make sure they visit while in the Yucatan Peninsula? But I mean, we've, we've gotten that covered. It's just, it's his, it's, I I don't need to, um, summarize it poorly. We've answered the question. So there we go. But, um, you know, I put out this call for Culture Vulture Mexico, and this was immediately the cultural site that you volunteered for. Why this site over the many other places that you've been to? Because I feel like it's an important trip to do right. Like, I can understand why some people could be like, oh, like, it's hot. It's a, it's a drive. Yep. It is hot when you're there. There's not a lot of shade. And unless I was there, like, two Wow. So I think we can all agree that 2020 wasn't a year. So I was there <laughs> two years ago, you know, if you count COVID mm-hmm. three and there, you know, it's not as well regulated as some other wonders, okay. world wonders. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, they're, they're, it's a little more crowded in various areas and there, there are people selling crafts sort of, you want them to get off the property a little bit and they're working on that. You know what I yeah. mean? And at the end of the day, that can be stressful for some people and I feel like they can write it off. And what I really wanted to talk about was that it's such an amazing trip, day trip from wherever you are, like go in the morning. If I could do it over again, I think I would schedule myself to be there around sunrise. Let's be realistic. I'd probably be there around sunset maybe, (laughs) but the argument for doing sunrise is you can do sunrise. Then you get to go to lunch and then um, you can go swimming in um, one of the cenotes. I recommend Ikiel Cenote, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is like an underground river. And I just, it's, 
so close to it's so close to the beach resorts, but it feels so far away. And it's funny because I was talking to other travel writers who, because I was like, is this a hot take on my part? Like, I'm obsessed with this place. Yeah. And I talked to my friend Ramsey, who's been I, um, like 90 countries or something, and my friend Marissa, and I was like, isn't Chichen Itza like the best? And everyone's like, yeah, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so cool. And I just feel that at least when I was there, some of the people are, I don't know, some people went, some people didn't, and they're like, oh, this is, it's hot and it's cheesy. It's like, it's not cheesy. Mm -hmm. And also, I just think that there's a distinct, I think it's important to know the history of pre-Hispanic Mexico yes. to really understand how it, to, I think that, I think it's fascinating and I think it's important to, to learn and know. And afterwards, we, I like saw this, went to this museum and saw this, um, this um, play that went through Mexico from the beginning till now. And it's fascinating. And so many things, like, just the, so many, so many cool, not just cool besides, like, astronomy and astrology, but, like, fashion, food, mm. music. So much of it originates from Mexico. I mean, I heard, there's a saying that I heard that was, Morocco is Europe's Morocco is Europe's Mexico, and Mexico is the U.S.'s Morocco in the oh, sense where, because there are similarities coming across from Mexico to Morocco with a lot of the design and sort of some of the architecture, et cetera, whatnot. Hmm. And I do feel that it's like this huge, amazing cultural hotbed of like inspiration and beauty that's just below the border. And thank God we don't have Trump anymore, but it, it doesn't get the respect it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get political, but there you go. But I can't help it. <laughs> That's all right. So what kind of athletic abilities do you need to enjoy this tour? None. I mean, as long as you can, as long as you can walk, yep. you know, you don't even need to walk far, you know, like it is a bit of a walk, I guess, from the parking area, but you can take it slow. Okay. If you, if you are someone who doesn't like walking for longer distances, I mean, just bringing them, you can go full you can go full sun protection with an umbrella, but there are places to rest. Okay. It's really, it's quite easy. Okay. So then, um, you know, what about just while we're talking about um, athletic abilities and you said as long as you can walk, but is this accessible at all? I'm going to guess that it's not like for someone who might need a walker or a wheelchair. So I believe that there are certain um, areas that are, and actually I'm looking in my notes right now. Um, it's actually, okay, since you can't go up, so it used to be that you could climb to the top of the pyramids, mm. which you can't anymore, which I'm all here for. Mm. I don't know how they're going to last if people are trampling all over it. Mm -hmm. But there actually is, there's, um, you can rent a manual wheelchair where you're okay. staying, mm -hmm. or um, it's actually equally as accessible for wheelchair users oh, because it's, it's flat. It's very flat. You know, that's, it's hot and flat, but yeah. I was saying as long as you can walk, it's easily accessible, but that's a little, that's false advertising as long as you can wheel. Okay. And I was wheeling and crutching recently on my ACL and I could, I could do it too. Okay, great. Yes. That story another time. <laughs> <laughs> so then do you need a tour guide or can you do this as a self-guided tour? Um, it sounds like from your experience, I mean, hiring a, a good guide is a great way to go. I couldn't recommend enough a, a like a guided tour because when you go there, I mean, it's going to be overwhelming to look at, but you're not going to have any idea about the significance of some of the of some of the um, some of the sculptures on the wall and like 
what everything is and you really need a guide. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't get my, you know, the best guide ever, Beto, yeah. you, you should get a local guide because you're going to need, you're going to want some perspective. And what makes it so fascinating is learning about the Maya people and the Mayan history and culture because it's so relevant to today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're going to miss out a thousand percent if you don't do that. Yeah. I can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. I agree. So now what about um, facilities on site? Bathroom, water, any of those things? Yes, all those things, bathrooms, water. Um, there is more, there are more of these um, sort of rest areas where you can, you know, wash up, etc. Sit, sit down towards the entrance in the parking lot mm-hmm. where there are also like a ton of buses and a ton of cars. But even as you move further into, um, into like the World Heritage site, you're going to see people selling water. Okay. You're going to see people selling whatever you want. I would say though, to try to make sure, and this is also why a guide is helpful. You're, I think that everyone, if you're going to be buying some art, some Mayan art, you're going to want to be supporting people who are, you know, actually representing or supporting the culture. And if you have a guide there, he can advise you on what's authentic and what's not in a way you'd never be able to figure out. Right. Okay, good. Good, good. And then, um, are you, I'm guessing that you're going to need some pesos if you do want. Yes. Bring all your, bring all your pesos. Honestly, I feel like Mexico, Kenya, Nepal, and Morocco. I just wish that I had all my cash on me at all times because the best stuff, literally everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. I just found a batik that I bought in Kenya probably 20 some years ago. And it was just, it fell out of my moving belongings. And I'm like, this is a scarf. This is a skirt. I love it. I loved it then. And I'm glad to see that I love it now. And now my daughter wants it. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> no, it's, it's very important that you have these things that you can keep and remember for yourself. Like, I wish I bought more stuff mm-hmm. now that I've been stuck inside. But one of the things I did wish that I'd gotten, I do wish I had gotten, was one of the wood carved, like the hand carved Mayan masks. Oh. But also talk to your guide because, you know, I believe near, right next to our restaurant, there was a boutique and it, it's more, it's honestly more expensive if it's going to be handmade sure. by, you know, people who are actually a part of the culture um, that they're representing if they're part of the tradition. But it's, it's worth it and it's very cool and recommended. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing that we try to bring back art. Um, and actually we're just like out of wall space now. So we kind of have to maybe purge some art, but we try to bring art from where we live and from where we visit. And, um, because I mean, for us with our moving lifestyle, it's flat, it transports easily and movers are terrified of art. Also, if all of our stuff oh, gets yeah. broken, the art's going to survive. So yeah, <laughs> I collect art too. And honestly, a lot of street art at times as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Art, and I would put masks in there, in there with art. And also they have really beautiful shawls, but yeah, I would just make sure, you know, it's the same as when you're traveling anywhere. Just, you want to make sure it's not made in China, Right. but there's going to be an abundance, abundance of vendors. So that's another reason that having a guide who knows, who knows the area is going to be able to point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm with you there. Um, so then, you know, th- th- we've done a great job covering this, um, and not, 
I, I want to give people enough information that they want to get there, but I don't want to ruin the whole trip for them. So I, I kind of want to leave the content there. But I would like to ask if there are any tips, tricks, or warnings for listeners that you would have to get them in and out of Chichen Itza successfully. Um, honestly, I probably went at a, one of the rushier times. You know, we left at a pretty humane time. I believe it was like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. So it's not mm-hmm. like we got there right at sunrise. And we were there in the middle of this day in the beating sun. And then... And we were fine. Yeah. But if you're someone who gets overwhelmed in, with crowds, then I would – I'm debating. I've actually been thinking about this, about whether or not you want to go at sunrise or sunset. But because this pyramid was um, built around the sun, like around the motions of the sun, right. I think it is very meaningful to go at that time. Like if you do sunrise, I would do sunrise or sunset if you are – if you want to get the most out of it, I would probably do the sunrise, actually, because <laughs> it's psychotic. You could see the sun. It's so flat behind the pyramid, and you could see the sun like a half crescent, like, oh. rise up behind it. And it's not far. Yeah, just wake up early. And that way, also, you can get back early, and you can also get to the cenote oh, yes. when it's the hottest. You know, if you get there for sunrise, you're swimming by noon, maybe. Cool. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. And then obviously hydrate, bring water, bring sunscreen, all those sort of things. Bring pesos. That's right. Lots of pesos. So then, um, you know, this is your chance to freestyle. Um, what else am I missing? I, I always like to give an opportunity for my guests to talk about anything I missed. Or even if you want to talk about current projects that you're excited about, whatever it is, you're welcome to include it now. You know, it's funny because I don't think I'm worried I didn't miss anything because I've gone off on several Mexican streams of thought. I don't, I've gone everywhere in this conversation. So I guess, yeah, I would just say that for me as as a journalist, the one thing that frustrates me is sometimes when you're covering specific places, like one of the first stories I wrote was about, you know, 10 places to go that aren't Tulum and one of the comments I got was, oh, yeah, like, go to Mexico and get shot. Or if you want to get killed by gun violence, which, LOL, as a poster posting from America is crazy. <laughs> but just to reinforce, like, Mexico is huge. Like, just like some places in America aren't super safe. Like, but Mexico, overall, by and large, is like, it's an extremely safe place to visit. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so sick of these just diminishing stereotypes. Right? Yeah. Just complete bullshit, personally. Yeah. So... And I think that part of part of the reason I love Chichen Itza so much is that I don't think that pre-Hispanic Mexican culture, that ancient Mexican and indigenous Mexican culture is celebrated as much as it should be, mm-hmm. considering how influential it is, mm-hmm. like, uh, today, all over the world. You know, people are freaking out about the Mayan calendar. I don't know, I don't know any other civilization that's able to get people freaked out I don't know how many years later during Y2K, they're like, well, the Maya people thought it and they were, thought everything was right. That's right. So I think that that's it. And then I'm, yeah, I'm passionate about spotlighting destinations that are famous for their beaches. So sometimes people don't focus on the culture as much or the, yeah, the culture and the heritage as much. So a project I'm working on right now is with um, Hotel House Above Par, which is actually founded by Brandon Berkson, who's going to be a guest on this podcast. Yeah. But you know, this summer because um, the Caribbean is going to be open for American guests and actually travel searches for the Caribbean are spiking. So I was like, why don't we do, we're doing a boutique Caribbean series. 
So cool. I just wrote St. Lucia, but basically spotlighting different hotels, boutique hotels, and in sort of, I would argue, underrated Caribbean islands that are spectacular. So St. Lucia, Dominica, Grenada, Barbados. I mean, Rihanna has done a lot for Barbados. I don't know if it's that underrated, but <laughs> yeah, like calling out places that really reflect the culture there and I hate all-inclusive resorts, except for the one I went to in Mexico where my dad and I drank all of the drinks on the menu, but in general, I don't love them, and there's so much more to the Caribbean than all-inclusive, or else I would never really want to write about it because, you know, it can get boring. So I'm passionate about that and passionate about Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It's interesting, though, because I think pre-children, I would not have been so all-inclusive, um... I wouldn't have any interest in going to them. But when you have children, it does give an, an interesting balance, uh, because you can have your, your, a date. Your children can have entertainment and ch- age appropriate things. And then you can also have the option to leave the resort and do things like Chichen Itza and things like that. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, when you get into your family, um, area of your life, if it becomes more appealing to you, because I'll tell you a meal with two hands that's hot and served at you and eaten at the appropriate time should not be underrated. That's, oh, no. that's a good that's, thing. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head there though, where you go, we, you can leave the resort. Yeah. And I feel that the thing that I don't like with all inclusive resorts sometimes is that, okay, let's just be straight. Sometimes the people who go to all-inclusive resorts don't leave the resort. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there can sometimes be an atmosphere where I feel like I'm in like a little bubble yep. of, you know, a bubble of suburban America sunburned by the pool, which <laughs> could be on, you know what I'm saying? And like, there, I, I don't love it when there's like, when the balance is so aggressively tourist versus versus local. Yes. Do you know what I don't think I'm saying this well, I guess. No, like, I that's hate, the purpose yeah. of this little mini series yeah. of like the Mexico culture culture. Let's, you but know, it makes sense for families yeah. for sure. And I can get that. Cause also you can literally drop them off. Like we ran wild yeah. when we were in Mexico, <laughs> but I guess I would say like the Atlantis. I hate the Atlantis. I feel bad saying this because, but I hate the Atlantis <laughs> resort. I don't think they treat their staff very well because everyone there looks miserable. Oh. I've traveled there with, with friends. Yeah. I've traveled there on friends trips and I've been appalled by some of my friends' behaviors towards like people who are serving us, people yes. who are waiting on us. And yep. it depressed the hell out of me. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you come here every winter. This is not the Bahamas. This is a short hill shopping mall. Yeah. There's literally a shopping mall in here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that just kind of this idea that like, if you, like, if you just wanted to be on the beach, you didn't need to like fly to the Bahamas for that, you know? Right. But I want to counterbalance that and say, but there is a lot of money that can be brought in via those things. And the story of Cancun, I kind of love it. Nobody was on this little island. They called it like snake's nest or something. Yeah. Mexico was yeah. like, we're going to make this a huge tourist spot. And it's good for the economy and good for that. But I guess I just, I push back because sometimes I've traveled with people or sometimes I've experienced people who do only do all-inclusive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't. And then they act stunned when I'm like, oh, well, did you do this? Or... I just think there's this insidious belief that you need to go to Europe for culture. Mm. And if you want to go to the beach, you go to the Caribbean or Mexico or, mm. the, or Hawaii. But if you want to, like, educate yourself, you go somewhere cold, which I think is like a colonial, colonialist hangover. And evident, in, if you look at journalism, travel journalism, and you research a place, you know, why aren't there more articles about museums and 
Bahamas. You know what I mean? Yeah, Why isn't yeah. there more? So I just think that it's just too pervasive and I get it. It's so pretty on the beach. You don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. But the more I've traveled in and around the Caribbean, I would include Mexico. And the more I've learned about the history there, I've gone to more museum openings than ever. Like, and the more I've met people who are so passionate about sharing you know, the, the story of their culture and their country. Yes. Like there's more, there's more here than just the beach. Yeah. So it's sort of a crusade of my own because I've just, I've had the most fulfilling experiences meeting people like Beto, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and the well, that. let's keep the crusade going. We'll do some more podcast episodes and, you know, and another point that you make is, you know, um, the happiness of the employees and where does the money go? And, some of these resorts have very good give back programs and that's actually like a mini series that I'm thinking about doing is like, you know, um, what, like if you're going to spend your money at an all inclusive resort, like let's talk about who takes best care of their employees because the, I've definitely noticed that too, especially on some cruise lines, like where the employees are the happiness, just go to the spa and ask the employees. They'll tell you you're locked in a room with them for an hour. They'll tell you whatever you want. So um, yeah, anyway, thoughts for, thoughts for other episodes and other days, but points well made that we need to get out there and we need to get deeper into the culture. So I appreciate the crusade. We'll, we'll keep going on it. Love it. Cool. So much time with you, Megan. I can talk to you forever. I apologize. <laughs> I have talked to you forever. No, it's wonderful. I, I enjoy it. I love, I would talk to you too, but, um, you know, it's time to call it a wraps. I thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, um, yeah, we'll do it again sometime. And you, um, I don't know, be in touch. I'll be in touch with you. Love it. Thank you, Megan. All right. Yes. Wonderful. This is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying thank you for listening. Thanks for checking out this series on Culture Vulture Mexico. And until next time, everyone have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. This is a Trav Market Media Podcast. Discover more travel industry-oriented podcasts at travmarketmedia.com and be sure to subscribe.